Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, James Dice. Each week, I fire questions at the leaders of the smart buildings industry to try to figure out where we're headed and how we can get there faster without all the marketing fluff. I'm pushing my learning to the limit, and I'm so glad to have you here following along. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Nexus Pro. Nexus Pro is an annual or monthly subscription where members get exclusive writing, podcasts, and invites to members-only Zoom gatherings. You can find info on how to join and support the podcast at nexuslabs.online. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Nexus Podcast. Episode 38 is a conversation with Raj Subramanian, co-founder and chief product officer at Facilio. We talked about the current state of software in the built environment, including the siloed software systems that plague the industry worldwide. And I like to say that there are two solutions to those silos. We can rip everything out and start from scratch with the latest interoperable technology, or we can install an overlay. We did a deep dive on the overlay option, including the types of overlays in the market and why I'm excited about Facilio's hybrid overlay approach. Please enjoy Nexus Podcast episode 38. All right. Hello, Raj. Welcome to the Nexus podcast. Uh, can you introduce yourself for us? Thanks, James. Pleasure to be here. Um, my name is Raj Subramanian. I'm one of the co-founder of uh, Facilio, and I'm also the head of products for Facilio. That's my role at Facilio. In terms of introduction, I started my career as a software developer, and I worked for a company for 17 years, but uh, I was working mostly in the telecom space. The previous company had a network management platform that was used by like telecom companies, telecom service providers and OEMs to build uh, uh, network management applications, which kind of uh, when there was a telecom slum back in you know 2008, we took the same platform and tried to solve IoT use cases, right? It became an IoT application enablement platform. And a lot of partners would come and build various type of applications, right? So cell tower monitoring, ATM sites, street light management, smart city projects, and buildings happen to be one of those use cases and uh, that's how I got you know initiated into buildings and uh, you know was quite quite surprised to find uh, a lot of the barriers in uh, IoT application was uh, you know you have to go and deploy all these sensors and field devices to you know fulfill a need Uh, in buildings you know you have all that already uh, there you have all your field networks and controllers and sensors and actuators and whatnot just that that data is just you know, utilized only in, in a limited scope application like a building management or lighting application or something like that or at a building level. Uh, and so in the previous company, we also had, uh, it's known for its cloud-based applications. So we could tap into a talent pool of developers and skills that were quite equipped in building large-scale cloud-based applications and also IoT, IoT skill sets. So we thought we could, uh, you know, start Fresleo and solve for this market uh, where we can you know, bring data that is useful data that is available and uh, build cloud-based applications for, for buildings to really transform the way operations and maintenance is done in buildings, right? Cool. And we had your your co-founder, uh, Prabhu, on, on episode six. So mm-hmm. if anyone wants to go deep into uh, the history of Facilio and, and more of what Facilio does in the marketplace, they can go back to that. We're going to talk about that today as well. But let's start with your perspective. So when you came into this industry, why do you think 
buildings are so far behind. I remember when we had Prabhu on, I think his quote was 20 years behind <laughs> uh, the telecom industry or something like that. Uh, what, what was your perspective and why do you think buildings are so far behind from a technology standpoint? Um, yeah, I've seen you ask this questions in various episodes. You probably have all the flavors of answers now. I don't yeah. know if I'll add anything new, but in my perspective, you know, the technology, it doesn't happen, you know, for the sake of technology or without an underlying driver that is forcing people to adopt technology, uh, right? If you look at any other industry like financial segment banking or finance or, you know, transportation, logistics, or even IT, right? So there was fundamentally something changed in the way they, you know, the industry itself functioned, you know, the customer behavior changed or their business was transformed fundamentally and it, it forced them to actually adopt technology to kind of uh, be relevant and, you know, solve the challenges that, that came along with it. And uh, maybe something like that hasn't happened in buildings, right? So the way you, you know, live and work and operate in buildings hasn't fundamentally changed, you know, over a few decades. You, you, the way you use building to work or you, the way you use a building in different uh whatever that building is for hospitals or, you know, retail or some, whatever it is, uh, that hasn't probably changed fundamentally. Maybe the front of the house operations, the way you, you know, take office, for example, uh, the way you market your spaces, find tenants, you know, that has probably changed a little bit with all the technology and internet and, you know, new innovative ways to market and uh, your spaces. So you, we see some software adoption there, but uh, the way you operate and maintain buildings that hasn't been, a compelling driver for a wholesale transformation to happen. So it's it's happening in a very incremental fashion, right? Having said that, I, I think uh, we are at a stage where some of these drivers are coming to be. You know, it could be the climate change and uh, all the regulations, you know, for the entire building stock to be compliant with some sort of an emission-based initiatives and uh, goals from a governance perspective, or it could be the user behavior and people's expectation of how they want to experience buildings, uh, even COVID itself is probably bringing about change. And uh, maybe in the next five years, we will probably see uh, a different role for technology to play in, in, in buildings, right? Uh, that hasn't probably happened in the last couple of decades. Yeah, that's a, it's a unique answer. It also builds on other people's answers as well around, you know, getting from this cost center, this debt mechanism, and let's leave it in place to more of a technology in the front of the house, technology hitting the top line of the business. I'm um, seeing that as a trend that's popping up in some comments lately. So very good. Sorry, if I may add, a lot of other things that we see are kind of uh, symptoms of that, right? So the vendor lock-in or, you know, because there is no reason for the technology to come and, you know, because that large-scale transformation hasn't happened in, in the way that buildings are operated from a technology perspective, that's probably the cause for why the underlying skill set of people operating buildings are, you know, the way vendors operate and, you know, with a very service-heavy model. And a lot of these are probably symptoms of uh, this. And once you see you know, some sort of large-scale transformation in terms of technology adoption that happens in the building, that will fundamentally change a lot of these things. And you will see new new type of business models or, you know, type of players and new new type of people with uh, IT skill sets and things like that coming into workforce and uh, being a part of it. And owners and operators taking, taking ownership of a lot of this uh, technology initiatives rather than leaving it to vendors. And that's exactly the way it has happened in other, other industries. And I can 
quote from my experience working in IT and telecom, you know, a lot of these, you know, it, it used to be the same for IT, right? So that there was these big uh, Cisco's and OEM supplying, uh, not just hardware, but also it shipped with the software that will kind of same like a BMS or, you know, whatever system that we see in the building. It, it's, IT used to be the same way. Uh, OEM will supply your hardware and uh, software along with it that will manage that vendor's hardware systems, right? And you will have multiple software systems to just, you know, manage faults and performance and configuration on each of those equipment. And that basically changed in, in data centers and things like that cloud and that took off big players like Google and Facebook uh, were, you know, because they couldn't really rely on the hardware vendors like Cisco to deliver what they wanted. They started innovating and building their own hardware and uh, technology and software defined networking came about and things like that. So we will probably see that happen. And because the sector is so reliant on vendors for technology, the traditional vendors, and uh, if they wouldn't move so fast to catch up to what's happening. A uh, lot of the customers and the owners and operators themselves will will innovate and you know be the champions of this change. Totally, yeah. I just got off the phone with a large kind of global developer, owner, operator, and they're one of those companies that's creating their own software essentially. And you know they've just decided to reinvent the whole entire process from you know cradle to grave in a digital way because the traditional vendors, the traditional design firms, the traditional architecture firms, the traditional you know technology firms, it was just too much of a mess. And so they just wanted to you know control the whole thing. It was a fascinating conversation. So a lot of the themes you just talked about, uh, you and I co-authored a white paper together. And today we wanted to kind of unpack that a little bit for people that haven't read it, but also add a little bit more nuance to how you guys are approaching the concepts in the white paper. So let's sort of dig into that now. So the, the white paper overall is about the concept of overlay software and everyone that follows this podcast understands you know, that sort of concept. But can you, for the people that don't, understand that start with you know what's the current state of software in buildings and why do we need an overlay to begin with yeah i'm sure you know your audience and a lot of people are familiar with the problem in buildings right and we describe this as problem of silos in our white paper you know it's um, there are fun layers of silos in buildings, uh, right? So if you look at a, a building, of course, there are multiple systems in a building and each has its own uh, software. And we are talking about just software in buildings, right? We're not going into the hardware and the, tech, the stack behind it, uh, technology behind it. But uh, from a software perspective, you have multiple software systems in a building, in a given building you'll see a bunch of software that property managers and engineers and technicians will use. And then the building itself is a silo, right? If you if you are an owner or an operator, you know, and if you have a bunch of buildings, each of these buildings are sort of deployed in silos and operated in silos. You know, very rarely you have visibility over what's happening across buildings. Maybe you have that at a, you know, utility consumption level. <laughs> Maybe mm-hmm. you've been consolidated uh, energy report or, you know, utility report on a monthly basis or something. But uh, very rarely we see anything other than that even in terms of a simple data that is available for owners and operators from any of these systems. So you have system silos within buildings and then the buildings itself uh, are silos in themselves. And then in our portfolio scale, you, you also have to use a lot of software systems for different functional needs, right? So it could be for engaging with your occupants or tenants or customers. 
it could be for energy management, uh, energy benchmarking, and uh, your you know GSG reporting and whatnot, uh, ESG governance type uh, thing. Uh, it could be you know tenant building, automation, or anything like that. So there are various functional needs, work order management and maintenance management, and how you engage with vendors. So a lot of software requirement and functional requirement around for which you you end up using different uh, softwares. You know, those are like functional silos. So you have. Uh, a variety of software, you know, if you look at a portfolio that is used at a various level, and that adds to the complexity of this whole state we are in, right? So these systems are not built to interoperate with each other. So the data is not easily available to, to be shared with any other application or to any other stakeholder. A portfolio stakeholder would not have any visibility into any of the softwares deployed on the building level, and the same goes the other way. So that's basically the state of uh, software, and it is, it's complicated by the siloed systems that we have and the lack of interoperability between these applications, and it leads to a lot of inefficiencies, uh, you know, lack of visibility, or you know, a lot of operational efficiency in terms of how you operate and maintain a building. Yeah, and I really like these three buckets. So I, I think when people often talk about silos and the word comes up a lot when they talk about the status quo in buildings, but they're really talking a lot of times about maybe one or two of those layers, but not all three. And I, I think when you and I started collaborating around this, it was really a light bulb moment for me. With It's really that the entire, all three levels, right? Systems, you have HVAC lighting, fire, access control, you know, metering, you know, all different, I mean, Joe Gasperdoni says over 30 different IP connected systems and buildings, right? Different systems across every building. And then you go to the next building and those 30 could be different. The people who provide service on those 30 could be different, right? And then you go at the cloud level. Again, we have totally different, you know, CMMS could be at the cloud level, but it could be at the building level, right? Uh, and it, it could be for some buildings and not others, right? It really is a multi-level chaos <laughs> from a software <laughs> standpoint. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this question kind of hits at what we, we did a webinar last week on this topic with Valimo and Facilio. And this problem of these silos really is sort of stunting people trying to implement what we call smart building use cases, right? So you need data from two of these silos. Now you're in this integration phase and these systems weren't designed to be integrated. And so how are you seeing that sort of stunt innovation with your customers and what sort of created the need for the overlay? Yeah, um, the barriers for technology adoption, as we see it with the current solutions, uh, there are two, two layers at which this happened, right? So for any company or any vendor trying to solve for a particular use case or you know, build a solution around a particular uh, need in smart buildings, First of all, they, 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 there is no place they can go to get reliable data from buildings. There is no standard around these things. There is no system that they can rely on to actually get reliable data to build and solve for a particular uh, need. And because of that, they either have to really think about and solve. Every single vendor has to solve for that, you know, decide what the data model should look like, decide how they're going to integrate with the systems, what uh, middleware to use, what connectivity to use, and how are they going to, you know, make sense of all the data that you're going to, you know, come to them from different buildings without any standard around it. That takes a lot to develop these solutions, right, from a vendor perspective. And from a customer perspective, when they're trying to deploy any solution, because 
you can't expect all of these vendors to have a solution that work seamlessly it's not like plug and play right uh, and that adds to the you know time to deploy a solution the the cost to deploy a solution and uh, reliance on maybe uh, your third party vendors or contractors to help out in seeing you know f- for this project to see the light of the day right so that is just the starting point that adds a huge barrier to deploy any of these technologies both for the vendors but also for the customers totally Yeah, I I like to think of it as like a tax that's just hitting everybody in the whole industry all the time. Every time someone tries to do something, they're just paying this tax. I guess we got to do some integration. And it's like, when is this tax going to stop? And, you know, when's it going to stop going up? (laughs) No, I can can speak from a vendor perspective, right? Because the initial few months, even the first year of it was all about solving for this in Fesla. We didn't actually go and develop the applications or the platform side of things. We were just, you know, writing Niagara drivers and uh, backnet agents and, you know, looking yeah. at all different things and trying to see how to shorten the integration process and all of that. So that is the barrier for the, for the vendor side of things, for, for anybody coming into the, uh, and it was a shock. I, you know, probably underestimated this <laughs> when we started, but, you know, this is Everyone does. <laughs> Everyone does. Uh Cool. So what we talked about in the white paper was sort of the solution to all that and not just the solution but all the solutions that are coming onto the marketplace that can be sort of grouped into this sort of umbrella term that i like to use of the overlay right so can you just sort of introduce like what an overlay is for people as a solution to the problems that we just laid out sure i would like to describe overlay as a software system that can solve for for the silo problem right it can be you know across one or multiple silos but it solves for a, a silo problem in a particular business context, right? It could be on a building level. It could be, typically it is on a portfolio level, but in some cases it can be on a building level too. But you create this overlay system that can, uh, there are two aspects to this. This One is the data aspect, the other is the functional aspect. Any overlay system has to integrate with the existing systems and buildings for data. Right. Yeah. And then it, it offers some sort of a, a functionality, either replicate the functionality that is available at the system level and make it available at a portfolio scale or, you know, uh, consolidate functionality uh, from multiple systems into a single software system. So there is some sort of a consolidation happening that solves for the complexity that we see in silos today, right? So you are consolidating either multiple building systems into one at a building level, or you are taking multiple softwares that are deployed at a building level and deploying one system at a portfolio scale. So an overlay solves for the silo problem uh, one way or the other. And uh, key components to that in terms of architecture is, of course, there is data and function aspects to it, but also it typically involves an integrate for the data you have to integrate with uh, the building systems, right? So yeah. you need an, um, you know, agent or a connector or uh, a driver that can be deployed in buildings. And the functional side of things usually is, you know, sits in a cloud. Uh, type mm-hmm. of infrastructure. It can be a public cloud. It can be a private cloud. Doesn't matter. But you know, it's a cloud-based software that offers any of this functionality that you are trying to achieve. Got it. Yeah, I think that's a great. That's a great overview. Solving the silo problem, and it's at multiple levels, usually in the building and in the cloud. Um, yeah. So one of the things that was fun about doing the white paper with you was that we created these categories of overlays that I haven't seen anyone publish before. I think it was a novel way to kind of categorize the market. And we had five different types 
and you guys are Facilio is kind of the fifth type, kind of the hybrid of all of them. But I thought it'd be fun to kind of walk through each of the different types and talk about examples of each type. So let's start with the building overlay. Uh, what is that and what makes it specifically a type of overlay? Uh, sure. Uh, building overlay is an overlay software that solves for the silo problem within a building, right? So you have multiple systems, your lighting and HVAC and metering and access control and occupancy and whatnot. And uh, you create an overlay system that can, you know, integrate and get data from uh, all of the system and uh, consolidate functionality around this data for building level stakeholders, right? Mm-hmm. You typically see this in uh, large buildings, class A, multi-story office buildings uh, and things like that. And uh, this is something that is probably, you know, has been done in the past, right? Just to, you probably wouldn't have termed it overlay or it is probably a, not a cloud-based system. But mm-hmm. you see this uh, huge MSA projects that go into a building and uh, they try to integrate all the building management and lighting and all of that into uh, a single Niagara supervisor or something like that uh, software. And uh, also, you know, integrate that data with maybe a powered by VI-based visualization or reporting and uh, graphics and whatnot, or maybe, you know, hook it up to SkySpark or some other FDD system or building system. And I mean, usually done at a, like a big MSI project. And uh, that is an example of a building overlay. And a lot of the digital twin systems that we see these days, you know, that get deployed with, you know, 3D visualizations and uh, whatnot. And these systems are, are probably an example of a building overlay, right? They're hooking up to different systems and trying to visualize and offer like a new, you know, a better monitoring and visualization than what a, a typical BMS would do for a building. Got it. Yeah. The monitoring and visualization piece is what I feel like is descriptive here for this, this first category. It's like bringing every, sometimes people call it single pane of glass, bringing everything into one screen essentially with graphics and the data is there and you're able to just view the entire building happening at once. So what are some of the, the sort of drawbacks at this level? Um, maybe it solves some of the problems of the silos, but it, it doesn't really go all the way. What are some of the ways in which it stops short? The obvious shortage there, because you are deploying this at a building level and, uh, you know, and it might work perfectly for, uh, you know, in some business context, you only, maybe I have a smaller portfolio and I have just one building, you know, that is different from others and we need a system, right? So mm-hmm. maybe it makes sense in some business context, but if you are a portfolio, uh, a big portfolio with multiple buildings, then you are kind of repeating the same process in each of the building and creating like independent building level systems, so it's not a portfolio-wide system, it's a building-level system. So maybe it's not solving for uh, the building silo problem. It solves for the system silo problem within a building itself. And uh, th- that yeah. would be the, I wouldn't call it a drawback because it can really be the solution, you know, ideal solution for, you know, in right. some context. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Okay. Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor, Nexus Labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together. And they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexuslabs.online. All right, back to the interview. 
All right, let's second category. What about system overlays? What are those? Uh, system overlay, you know, solves for you, know, you. You have multiple buildings, and you have these systems, right? Say, building automation system. You have twenty buildings, and each of these buildings have different vendor systems, different versions of building automation system, and it's deployed at the building level, and only your building technicians probably have access to it. And at the portfolio level, there is no visibility into our connection into each of these things, right? So maybe you, uh, when you create an overlay software or when you deploy an overlay software that is focused on a particular system, it could be HVAC, it could be metering, it could be you know uh, indoor air quality or you know access control or surveillance or whatnot. But when you when you deploy a, a system that can work across buildings for for a given system, and it can be more than one system too, you know, and th- that would be a system overlay. You create an overlay system that addresses a particular system uh, or one or two systems, but makes it available across a portfolio. I like to think about this one in terms of like JCI Metasys that's across the portfolio, right? Um, where you're, you're pulling all your buildings in, but you still only have that one viewpoint, that one silo. Exactly. Can work really well in campus scenarios, right? So mm-hmm. where you have a single team that is, uh, you know, required to work across buildings and maybe you have different building systems and it will really complicate uh, if you have to log into different BMS systems or different lighting control systems to manage each of these buildings, right? So creating yeah. like a campus overlay or a uh, system overlay at a campus level can really solve for this. Yeah, and sometimes you'll see it with like, if you have, you know, 20 different vendors, like you said, across the portfolio, you might put like a Niagara on top mm-hmm. and sort of normalize everything. You're still mm-hmm. only looking at the HVAC. Yeah. usually silo, but it's the HVAC across the whole thing. And that's yeah. one of the things that Matt Schwartz and I, in our, you know, BAS architecture of the future interview, he goes into like what that looks like um, at the portfolio level. Yeah. Cool. Um, what about functional overlay? Uh, functional overlay is for a specific functional need that you have uh, typically at a portfolio level, right? So because when you're deploying functional systems at a building level, that, that is not really an overlay. You're just using a point solution in a building to do energy management or building or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But when you deploy the same solution at a portfolio scale that can work seamlessly across multiple buildings, it solves for one specific functional need. It could be, you know, automated tenant building, or it could be fault diagnostics. It could be energy management and reporting and benchmarking and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or even, you know, all of these indoor air quality solutions and occupancy type solutions are getting deployed these days. And uh, they are deploying across portfolio and they come with their own software that provides analytics around the air quality monitoring and whatnot. So those are the functional overlays. It's for a specific functional need, but it can work uh, potentially work across buildings, across the portfolio. Yeah, an example of this that I've seen is like with, you might have fault detection diagnostics, right? Where you're collecting HVAC from, or meter data or lighting data or, you know, whatever, from a bunch of different types of buildings, you're doing centralized fault detection. And then the example I like to give is like that company that's setting up that FDD is doing that integration at all those different HVAC or, you know, metering systems. And then you also have another functional overlay, like it's like comfy, like the tenant experience app. It's also going in and those people are then going in and integrating with all the HVAC systems. Right. And now you're, you have basically two functional needs that are being solved 
you know, two different integrations, they're doing the exact same thing in some layers of the stack, they're doing the same stuff, right? So the, I, I think what I think of the drawback of the functional overlay is that it, there's not a holistic, like, what can we do with this data and can it serve multiple use cases, right? It's, it's a very like one or two use case focused type of overlay, right? That's right. And uh, it's typical, very typical for you to look at a particular portfolio and they will have like a asset record a separate asset record in their, say, for example, their CMMS, which will look completely different than their uh, asset record in their fault diagnostics. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or not, right? That is because mm -hmm. these are two independent systems probably deployed in different times and had their own integration into these, you know, building systems if, if at all that the integration happened. You know, you end up with the functional silos, but uh, that, that's the drawback there. <laughs> Yeah, with this, I, I like to think of it like I am obviously a believer in things like FDD. Like that's what I've been doing my whole career, but it also does create another silo <laughs> in a way, right? You're, you're pulling together data from different places, but then you're providing a, another place to go log into. So, um, okay, what, what about data overlay? And, and sometimes I like to call this concept the independent data layer, right? So what is, what is the data overlay type? The data overlay exactly solves for the problem that we just was talking about yeah. in, in the functional uh, thing, right? So, you, you know, of course, you have multiple functional needs at a portfolio scale, and all of these functional use cases need data from your buildings. Yeah. And uh, if you can consolidate all of the data in a, in a single uh, data lake uh, or an overlay software, which mediates data between these functional applications, that is what I would call a data overlay. Uh, and the data overlay itself need not provide any functional, then not solve for any functional use cases, need not provide any functionality, may or may not. Uh, but the key thing is that system integrates into your building systems for whatever data your functional applications uh, will need. And for that to happen, it has to have all the sort of uh, APIs and interoperability features it needs to support to enable all these applications to consume data uh, from a single place. Totally. And the challenge that I've run across with that implementation, and I know I'm going to get like emails but from people that have this solution uh, and, and correct me here. I welcome that always. People can always email me, but I, I know I'll get emails on this one. But the challenge with the independent data layer is that when you don't know the use case that you're implementing, then it's really difficult to represent the data in the right way. So there's always this kind of disconnect, but at least it does solve the, the like integration problem for the most part. Um, yeah. So go ahead. No, no, the, 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 that's right. And uh, you can like incrementally, you know, it's it's not like by definition, these data layer data lakes will be flexible for you to model or change your uh, modeling around the data that you're trying to capture, right? It won't be like a point solution type of an application, really. You know, in a lot of cases where I've seen this being built out, you know, they're actually building this in every single case. They're not even buying it from a vendor, right? So they're defining <laughs> data lake. They probably have brought in Infosys or Accenture to <laughs> build this system for them. So, but essentially that will be flexible and for you, it should be adaptable by definition. So I don't see that as a, a big problem. But if that is for any, any use case or any vendor, if there was this data layer that I can reliably consume data from, that will be a huge uh, advantage. It can open up a... It, it removes the innovation barrier that we talked about for, for vendors yeah. to come solve for a lot of uh, use cases. Yeah, I mean, if a vendor's finding that, even if it's not tagged perfectly for their use case, if they're finding that, they're very, very happy. So 
Okay, so that's the first four categories of the overlay. The fifth is kind of like a hybrid between the two, right? And, and that's the category that you guys kind of fit in. So how can you explain how you guys approach the overlay problem at Facilia? Yeah, so when I actually try to kind of classify uh, or try to fit Facilio into any of these categories, you know, it really, um, we built Facilio as a uh, flexible data and application platform, right? So we have multiple ways to connect to building systems uh, and we have our own agent and Niagara drivers to connect to the systems, but any anybody can develop their own agent and the cloud itself is open to consume data in different ways. And there is this uh, flexible data model that can adapt to any kind of standard that you want to follow or define new categories and define new attributes and define the time series data that you want to capture for any of these uh, definitions in the in the platform. So it's pretty flexible. And on the application side, we created a lot of application modules, right, for around the common needs in real estate for work order management, occupant or tenant engagement or customer engagement portals and mobile apps. And we typically do a bi-directional integration with building automation systems. So you can actually build a, a command and control type use cases for scheduling or set point overrides or energy optimization type uh, things. So Facilio can be deployed to solve for any of these overlay categories that we talked about, right? It, and we have all examples and all, you know, Facilio deployments that can be de described in any of these areas. So we have the uh, Facilio deployed as a building overlay solution. You know, we, we may probably have a press release. Uh, so it's public information, so I can mention the name. So it's ICD Brookfield in Dubai. They, they picked Facilio to build this uh, building overlay uh, solution. And uh, Facilio can, you know, can actually, we don't have any customers using it that way, but we have multiple when, uh, customers considering it, our solution to be used as a data overlay. Uh, because they are building this data overlay and right now they, they are engaging with uh, Accenture and the Infosys uh, Microsofts of the world to build this, uh, right? So if a vendor can come in and solve and if the platform is open enough, uh, you know, there is no reason why it, it can, you know, fast track their time to market and time to deploy and whatnot. And uh, also there are customers that are using just the functional modules just for the functional needs they, they have, you know, uh, for work order or energy management or FDD and, and, and things like that. So it can really uh, solve for, you know, it can be categorized as any of these things. And that's, that is why it's the hyper overlay term was defined. Uh, it's not really something, but when you pick from a, from a customer perspective and they are trying to uh, pick an overlay solution and uh, any of these overlay solution, you know, can be the uh, solution for them, you know, depending on the context. But uh, from a long-term perspective, if you have to future-proof your system, maybe right now you, you are happy with the building overlay, but what happens if you add more buildings in your portfolio? You know, uh, if, if you pick an overlay system that is kind of uh, future-proofing for your, you know, for your future needs, for scaling or whatever uh, future needs, maybe you're right now trying to solve for one particular functional need and you deploy a functional overlay. But instead of probably deploying a point solution, Maybe if you picked a system that, that can expand into other adjacent functional needs that you may have in the future, you, you probably don't have to repeat this exercise, right? Yeah. So from a customer perspective, I would see hybrid overlay as, uh, as something that can adapt as your needs changes uh, over a period of time. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons I'm excited about what you guys are doing with this is the actual ability to limit the number of new silos and, and even start to really consolidate them down, right? So you're, you're talking about different opportunities for consolidation at the portfolio, like cloud level, cloud applications, and you're talking about potentially 
ways to consolidate software inside the building as well. And I like this word consolidation because I feel like what we need to do is simplify people's lives, right? And, and I feel like we're starting to head in that direction or you guys are starting to head in that direction. So which platforms are you seeing getting consolidated into yours right now? Um, I know you have a ton of different examples of ones that are just basically saying we used to have these two or three or four different applications and now we're consolidating them into one. Yeah. Um, typically the maintenance management, work order management and energy management and fault diagnostics are the most common things. But as you deploy, there's a lot of you know, control-based use cases get automated, right? So that's the beauty of when, you know, say, for example, you have a building automation and, you know, of course you can do scheduling and set point changes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But when you take building automation and uh, think about and uh, deploy at a portfolio scale and think about portfolio automation, it takes a different dimension, uh, right? You're probably doing the same things or maybe part of those things. But now you have a different dimension to it in the sense now, because you were able to deploy schedules or set points across the buildings, maybe you can use the system to interact with any other related system. You know, maybe you can hook it up to your work order system. You can hook it up to your tenant engagement platforms to automate some of these control-based use cases with ease, which is right now not possible because you have to do that building by building and it's just not, you know, impossible to do, right? So... Once you've done this, uh, it, it opens up a lot of possibilities for the customers to think about and solve for a variety of uh, uh, different use cases. But the common things that we see, at least the landing use cases that we see commonly are around energy management, fault diagnostics, you know, just more than fault diagnostics, I would say just having visibility into all their data, right? So just just reporting dashboarding itself is a huge across the building when, when you've consolidated that data, uh, that mm-hmm. itself is a huge thing. And then you start layering. Once you have the data, you can go and improve your energy, like uh, maintenance processes. You know, instead of doing maintenance on schedule, you can probably trigger condition-based maintenance and whatnot, right? So none of this is going to get done on day one, but I see this as like a roadmap for any customer, you know, it's like a three to five year roadmap, right? So they start somewhere and then they can actually layer things on top of this and build upon this. Yeah. One of the things that I feel like is a nuance here that I don't know that everyone understands, and I've been trying to write about it as much as I can, is that Right now, say we have two of those applications that aren't consolidated, right? So we have uh, FDD from X vendor and we have the CMMS from you know Y vendor and we're creating work orders in the FDD and they're showing up in the CMMS and maybe there's integration the other way. Maybe there's two-way communication happening, but the, the integration is really kind of like a one-off. I'm writing some code. And, and that's not what you have called like contextual integration. Can you describe what it means when these sort of previously siloed applications are now contextually integrated? Yeah, that, that's the advantage of uh, natively building these applications on the same uh, platform, right? So it's not a third-party application that we are integrating with. We designed this platform to host all these applications, right? So, and that has a lot of advantages. So you can think about uh, all the application use cases when you're bringing in data, right? So when, when say, for example, you're hooking up uh, occupancy data, you're modeling occupancy data. Now we can actually think about ways how this occupancy data can be now 
useful in different applications that you have and build or improve functionality around it, right? So maybe it can improve your scheduling process. Maybe it can include your automated start-stop type optimization that you're trying to do. It can improve uh, general energy reporting and uh, energy normalization and metrics around energy that that you're trying to monitor, right? So there are a lot of different ways. It, It has implications on each of these areas. And because we, as a vendor that is, you know, offering all of these applications that that gives us the luxury to go and build specific functionality around it and with a tighter integration, tighter uh, everything, you know, it's just a work order application, right? But we built a work order application on top of a data platform. So all the work order UIs and functionality that we built is trying to see if we can leverage that data in some way or the other. Uh, which is not the case with any traditional CMMS system, right? You you can integrate your CMMS system with uh, with VMS, but you probably do the bare minimum possible, right? You probably yeah. just bring a work order on an alarm or doing something. But in Fesleo, when you look at a work order, we are thinking about how can we allow the technician click on a button and change something on the VMS. Or, you know, when you have the maintenance UI designed, you are thinking about how can we use, you know, apart from schedules, how can we use the data that we have to improve the maintenance process? So it becomes part of the design thinking and gets in early in the process and that completely improves the way these applications come out and deliver value for the customers, right? Right, right. And talk to me then about if you have all of that contextual information, a slightly more nuanced nuance here is that you can then start to tailor for whoever's logging in to that application, right? So if it's a vendor being asked to, you know, fulfill that work order, right? Versus an internal employee versus an energy management consultant, you can now start to give these people different context for the workflow that they are trying to accomplish essentially. That's right. Because uh, again, this because we built this system, not just for one particular stakeholder's use, right? We didn't build this for like a building technician alone or the engineer alone. So there are a lot of modules that have the user personas that we are trying to uh, cater to with different applications and use cases differ. And fundamentally, that basically forces us to architect a system that can determine who has access to what parts of the application and, you know, provide security permissions and roles and scope for anybody who has logged into the system, right? So when you create the user itself, when you define a user in the system, you can really pick, okay, these are the modules. This is the permissions that they have even within a module. And then the scope of data and, you know, maybe they can only do uh, all of these permissions are available only for a certain building or certain floor or whatever it is, right? It's it's fine-grained access control and scoping that you are able to do with the application. Did I answer the question right? Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. And, and the, the part of that that I'm excited about, like just picturing my past self as this, you know, doing energy management and retro commissioning and monitoring-based commissioning, I'm picturing like logging in, seeing faults, but then on those faults, then being able to see like, what's the status of that work order and really easily being able to navigate into that work order and see like what the status is. And we're we're talking about getting rid of entire meetings (laughs) that are happening just to talk about how we're engaging on these analytics, right? Um, I, I have meetings going on to this day of like, What'd you do since the last time we talked about that fault, right? Um, and just having that context is going to save people so much time and remove so much friction around basically getting stuff done in the yeah. building. And when I when I actually show Fesleo, probably uh, you, you know about it because you've seen the product. You know, the 
details uh, summary page for a uh, piece of equipment right an asset yeah uh, um, we'll have information about the maintenance uh, that was done the past uh, planned maintenance and uh, any unplanned work orders that are carried out it will have the uh, commands that are available for them to command the equipment or lose at point or right so it will have all the data from the building automation system and the reports that is you know accessible from there and uh, the output of the fault diagnostics so you can go back in time to see what kind of faults were occurring on this particular equipment and the financial data that is captured from the work order system so you know how much you are spending on maintenance if the system is hooked up to a bim you can even you know we even have a tab Uh, that will actually show the visualization from the bim or the digital twin loaded up into the same system so you have everything in one place uh, you know contextually speaking and i'm actually surprised to know there are meetings happening just to <laughs> coordinate between this uh oh yeah you know it's called monitoring based commissioning it's really innovative and it's really everyone sort of interacting around the list of faults that are happening and it's not connected to workflows at all <laughs> and it's not connected to the ability to control most of the time either so i'm also picturing a fault like you could have a fault and be like okay this valve's leaking let's stroke it open and closed as well to like really get some more information and show more of the operation of that valve before we then you know assign the work order things like that that i feel like are just these are spots where this, the processes break down and they don't have to be like that so yeah. And so that's why I wanted to dig into this. I, ho- I hope this is valuable to people to see these nuances because I think they're super important. Um, so let's kind of shift gears a-, a little bit and talk about, so last time Prabhu and I talked, we, he sort of gave me an update on, gave everyone an update. It was last sort of May, May 2020, I think on sort of where you guys are at development wise and what you're excited about. So maybe kind of update us on you know what are you guys excited about in 2021 as far as global domination and uh improving the product um we're seeing a lot of different use cases and maybe we can do uh, you can do an episode on all the different use cases that that I would that, like to <laughs> uh right so i'm learning every every time uh, a new use case that can be solved for uh, right and that and this uh, one advantage of uh, us being a platform is uh, you know we can actually go and solve for that use case and build that out so we finding a lot of use cases and uh, the the beauty of it is we solve for one particular customer because they have that need we build that uh, out because it's an application platform right you can build go and build modules and create workflows and deliver for a particular use case uh, and then we are able to replicate that across you know multiple customers who may have the same need right so it's really helping us kind of scale across uh, customers expanding the accounts but other things the, interestingly we uh, some of the partners who actually seen the platform and uh, are taking it to like adjacent markets right so in same platform is being used to now solve for like retail refrigeration type uh, use cases uh, okay and uh, so we were initially focusing on like office portfolios now we are in hospitals you know retail uh, refrigeration type uh, uh, use cases data centers you know i was surprised to learn uh, learn that uh, you know there is one partner trying to pitch fesclio for a cell tower monitoring solution with <laughs> <Okay. laughs> you know had happy memories because that was one of the problems we are trying to solve for in in the previous company and uh-huh. we didn't really really think you know when we built fesclio it it will be used to solve those use cases <laughs> we wanted to focus on buildings but uh, yeah so a lot of things happening and uh, we're constantly 
you know, building from uh, platform functionality, so APIs and whatnot, to make it more flexible and available for third-party developers to, you know, come and build these uh, use cases. It's not still open yet, uh, but for anybody who's interested, we, we are at a place where we can just, you know, give them the APIs and documentation, they should be able to go and build and solve for a particular app. You know, they can go and build a custom mobile app or an application on top of Fesleo. Got it. And and yeah, so one of the things probably mentioned was more formal marketplace for those third-party vendors. Mm-hmm. Are you guys still planning on doing that? Yes, uh, that is still in the plans. It's a natural extension of what we are doing, right? It's still not probably opened up. Because one problem that we have is, uh, you know, we are a very product and engineering heavy organization, right? So marketing, marketing wise, they they struggle to catch up with <laughs> all the That's things that happen. Product side, and the uh, marketplace has a lot of you know marketing related things that we need to take care of, right? To kind of uh, rightly market that and things like that. It will happen probably uh, sometime, maybe in a year or so. But uh, it's already available for any third-party developers. Uh, it's just not publicly announced, and we don't have a program around it and all the marketing talk around it. Uh, the product is there. You'll see some announcement maybe uh, later this year or early next year or something like that. Cool. All right, Raj, it's been fun to, to chat with you, get an update, and we'll put the links in the show notes to the white paper, which has your email. Anyone can reach out and ask more questions around this. Uh, both of us are always willing to, to do that. So thanks for coming on the show. No, I'm happy to be here. You know, since we collaborated on that white paper, I've always thought maybe a, a fun chat like that. We've talked about it, but something like this would, would have been fun and it definitely is, you know. Yep. Always, always fun to nerd out. All right. Talk to you later. Sure. Thanks for hosting me. Bye. All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day.